Cultivating Place is proud to receive support from the California Native Plant Society. California is a biodiversity hotspot on our planet, and CNPS is working to support the communities of plants and related beings and conditions that make it so. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Deep into the winter season, with February's full moon behind us, I am so pleased to be in conversation today with garden photographer Andrew Montgomery, whose newest work celebrates the nuance, spare beauty, and intimate details of the winter garden in sharp, evocative relief. The book, Winter Gardens, is a collaboration between Andrew and writer and garden editor Claire Foster of House and Garden UK. I am so pleased to be speaking with you today, Andrew. Thank you for making the time. Absolute pleasure. Glad to be here. So share with us, if you will, as a gardener yourself and as a photographer of gardens, large and small in all seasons. What is it about your relationship with plants or gardens or landscapes that gets you out of bed every morning, even in the deep of winter, Andrew? It's the light. It's the atmosphere of a garden. And I come at it purely from a a very visual angle, of course, being the photographer. And it's that capturing that kind of soul of a garden is what motivates me the mist rising at sort of 6 a.m you know the sun's not even up that is the most magical time um, in a garden for me and when I walk around a garden during the day I'm kind of always thinking wow what's this going to be like at 6 a.m or at 7 p.m in the morning in the evening when you know when the sun's gone down and the wind has stopped and all you can hear is kind of like the rustling and the, the sound of sort of birds and, you know, that sort of gentle breeze. And it's that, to me, those moments um, capturing the garden at that time is magical. And that's that's how I see it. And, you know, I also react to the way that people, they design their gardens. And, you know, you can be inspired because they, you know, sometimes they do it instinctively. Um they just have this kind of gut reaction about putting plants and colors and things, textures, shapes against different, in different areas. And you kind of, you just think, oh, I, I really want to capture that. And that's my motivation. That's a beautiful description. And it's so evocative of, I think, that statement that I use in the title of my program, that impulse to garden, that like, what it is we're trying to relate to and hold on to that is ephemeral, but it also speaks really deeply to the way I I believe we express some of our best aspects of being human um, and our place in the world. Take us back a little bit in your life and your your pathway from where you were born and raised and the, the people and the places and the plants that grew you into a human for whom this would be a valuable endeavor and expression. I was very fortunate that I grew up in a house where my mum was an absolute avid gardener and also a flower ranger. Mm. So I kind of like grew up with kind of buckets of flowers on the kitchen table 
for arrangements and you know my mum asking my dad to kind of do chores in the garden and my earliest memories is my mum in the garden um tending the plants me wanting to play football but being told in no uncertain terms that if i broke any of the, the of her plants i'd be in, in 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 deep trouble and but what what was so lovely was that you know i got to experience you know my garden you know growing up was fantastic because my mum was out there all the time and that stayed with me now i still i love gardening and i'm not quite as skilled and uh, knowledgeable as my mum but um i know the joy and the kind of peace that i felt of an evening sitting out it has always stayed with me when i left school i i was always passionate about photography and gardens wasn't the immediate thing that i was drawn to um i was drawn to landscape first and I, I i picked up my dad's camera when when i was about eight or nine and started playing with it and kind of just just kind of it intrigued me and um it kind of developed and for my 16th birthday my dad he he got me a garden shed that i converted into a dark room and i began sort of processing and printing my own pictures the bug really bit then and uh, i went to photography college and through that I started my career really I've not been a garden photographer all my career I've done you know I was drawn to sort of portraiture and reportage and um, that's been really interesting because my first job as a garden photographer the which was with Claire she commissioned me because she didn't want a garden photographer to shoot this particular garden um, and so I came at it quite at a quite different angle is probably a, you know, the right or wrong word. And I wasn't beholden to kind of any rules or ways of doing it. And I suppose that once I'd done that job for her, it was fantastic. And I realized, you know, this was something that I, I you know, wanted to shoot more of. Well, and it's interesting because as you are speaking and I am thinking about the photography of yours that I am most familiar with, um, and I see this kind of coming through um, the winter gardens and, and the way you and Claire have worked on this together, and it's there's, there's something reminiscent about the way you shoot gardens and the way you shoot portraits so that the garden isn't... Um, so much an object as a subject in your in your photography uh, in a way that is very respectful but also like adds insight to us about it as its own being or or energy or um, focal point beyond the human interaction with it I don't know you know when I shoot I shoot at an emotional level. I have to want to be there. I have to be excited and connect with what is in front of my camera. Now, gardens, as you know, can be absolutely majestic, can be beautiful. And, you know, that that's what I connect with, um, not necessarily about, you know, the species of plants or, 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 or that's so much. It's really about what I'm actually seeing before me and thinking. And, and, and in harmony with that is, is the light you know, is the atmosphere of that morning or that evening, because that is absolutely fundamental. And 
I had a, the, one of the nice compliments I got the other day, I was doing a talk and uh, it was a, a head gardener was, was, was in the audience and he remarked that one of the gardens, that, um, I can't remember what garden it was in the book, but um, he, he said that you seem to, ca- I, I seem to have captured the moments that head gardeners witness, you know, those times where, you know, the public aren't there, but they might be, as I say, it might be very early in the morning or just when they're closing up, or they might be just there when the light is just doing something like beautiful that's just gone in a fleeting moment. And that's that that's what I strive for, really. I mean, I, I, I mean, the, some of the gardens in the book I went back to three or four times because you don't just turn up and you get those shots. It's a case of when you go to a garden, you have to learn it. You have to understand it. I have to walk around it. And if I you know, it's not just one visit, it's two visits or three visits, because on each visit, you are learning a little bit more about the intimacies of paths and trees and the way that the light hits and you know one morning you get there and you could just get the most magical mist and that's luck but you 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 tend to have to make that yourself by just you have to be quite dogged and someone said to me today on the shoot that I'm doing that you never you never achieve perfection and he's probably right but you're always striving for it there's a couple of pictures in the book where I know what he says where you can't achieve perfection but I'm happy to settle for what I achieved on on that in that moment I thought well you know it's perfect for me you know that is what always drives me as a photographer is is just capturing something when people just sort of take a step back and go wow you know and it could be a really simple garden doesn't have to be something huge or, or or spectacular or with lots of kind of structure it can be something quite intimate that balance of elements that all come together to create that shot and Again, part of that's technical, but also on my part with the camera and the lens, those choices. But it's also, you know, the light and what the gardener has done and put together. Um, you know, I've, I, the funny thing is I've never met a, a grumpy, miserable gardener. They're always really happy. They're always really positive. And that's how I feel when I shoot gardens. It's, they're, they're always a joy to do. And, and that's what inspires you, really, is just to kind of capture that love really that that goes into those places you touched on this in your word choice uh right from the beginning of that answer andrew of that when you are shooting at your best you are shooting at an emotional level and that you are you are working to know this place on this level of intimacy which is i think you know even if my garden is a mess and it's often a mess, Andrew. If you are out there enough over a, a whole range of times and ways, you will have those moments of this incredible, intimate beauty born of this time and hard work in relationship, which is, you know, not necessarily that different than those transcendent moments we have in our human love relationships, whether it's, you know, with partners or children or friends. And, you know, I, I and I, I think those correlations are, are not overreaching. Maybe talk a little bit about the trajectory of your career that leads you up to the kind of genesis concept for this book. So before Claire, before that moment with Claire, 10 years before that, I'd actually done for a, um, it was the independent 
Sunday Review, and I'd been commissioned to photograph a garden by Gertrude Jekyll, mm. which had lain hidden for sort of 40 or 50 years. And the, the art director said, look, you know, I've, we've got this garden. It's kind of completely overgrown, but it's Gertrude Jekyll. It's something completely special. So I was sent down and that, that was kind of that kind of little catalyst where I was shooting a green space with kind of elements of kind of the steps and the structure that she uses just coming through. And then there was this 10 year kind of gap and then Claire had kind of sort of seen what I'd been doing with with those stories. She really liked my approach on that on that first commission. She then asked me to do another couple, and then we did some we did a series on um, sort of artisans that were making things for the garden, such as uh, bathes and kind of garden utensils and furniture and things like that. So she'd had experiences with working with publishers and being asked to write books. I'd done previous books where you know obviously I've been asked as the photographer to shoot various subject matter and things like that and had been sort of slightly frustrated in a way by the constraints and so had she 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 had had some disappointments with kind of how the end result had actually turned out and what happened was that when we went into the first lockdown, which was when, you know, when COVID first hit, um, I completely lost all my work. Everything went within seven days. And I'd previously, over the past eight years, been shooting um, a place called Petersham Nurseries in, Newark, in, in London. And um, they were planning to do a book. And what the, the actual book project had fallen through with their publisher and they called me in and asked me, you know, would I be prepared to kind of get back involved with the, with the project? And I said, yes, but on the condition that I have full control, I design it. I commission the, the, the printers, the paper, literally the project managed the whole thing. Um, and they agreed. This is Cultivating Place. Andrew Montgomery is a British-based garden photographer. His new book, Winter Gardens, celebrates the very specific beauty of the winter season in colder climates and is a collaboration with writer and editor Claire Foster of House and Garden UK. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible by the California Native Plant Society on a mission to support California's native plants and places using both head and heart. In October of 2022, CNPS is hosting their biennial Native Plant Conference this year around a theme of rooting together, restoring connections to plants, place, and people. CNPS is inviting everyone to be part of the conversation and the effort to celebrate, protect, and restore California's plants and everyone connected to them. CNPS has a current call out for presentation applications. If how we restore connections for people, places, and plants is dear to your heart and you would like to find out more about presenting at the conference, please visit conference.cnps.org. 
That's http colon forward slash forward slash conference dot cnps dot org. I hope to see you there. Hey, it's Jennifer. So it's really actually odd and comforting at the same time to be in this conversation with Andrew about this topic of winter gardens in one of the least wintry winters I have ever had in Northern California. In what should be our two coldest, rainiest months of January and February, we here in interior Northern California have not had any measurable precipitation in more than seven weeks. We've had cold nights, but warm, dry days. It feels very off. And so leaning into the images and words of winter gardens seems both tribute and transport to this particular seasons and its intimacies and intricacies in our gardens. How is winter going in your garden in the Northern Hemisphere? Is it snowy? Is it cold? Are you tired of it yet? If you send me your winter garden images, I would love to feature them on the Cultivating Place Instagram over the next few weeks. You can tag me on Instagram with your own winter garden posts. I am at cultivating underscore place, or you can email me your image with all title and photo credit information, and I will make sure to include that when I post your image on my Cultivating Place Instagram. Happy winter and happy garden intimacy and intricacy wherever you are. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place. A new book, Winter Gardens, is out, and it celebrates the spare, sometimes hard, nuanced and moody beauty of the garden in this season. Photographer and now publisher Andrew Montgomery is sharing with us more about the process and purpose of the book. After learning the ins and outs of producing a quality book on a commission for Petersham Nurseries during the first COVID lockdown in early 2020, when Andrew hit the second COVID lockdown in December of 2020, he knew he wanted to focus on the Winter Gardens project he dreamed of. As we come back, he shares more. In the back of my mind, I thought, well, again, I'd lost all my work. What can I, what, what can I do? And I'd always had this thing in my head about wanting to do a garden book in black and white and to, to break the garden down to just tones and contrast and structure. And I felt that winter gardens, shooting a garden in winter lent itself perfectly to black and white, which obviously where I was kind of my, my, my kind of apprenticeship, my kind of early days in my dark room, printing black and white pictures. And then I'd, I'd gone to, had done an actual apprenticeship in a professional dark room in London, um, where I learned to print and, and, and learn about the medium of black and white. You know, I just felt that I had this kind of burning desire to really not only use those, that, that, that knowledge, but to put it, against a subject and use it with a subject that would really really suit it and and so what happened was was that I thought you know I really want to do this you know, I really want to do a book on winter gardens 
And I kind of had this plan where I wanted to do some seed heads, but also use that as an excuse to kind of sort of tell Claire about the idea and see if she would be up for, you know, doing the words. And so um, I rung her up and said, oh, you know, I, you know, I'd love to come around and shoot some, have you got any seed heads that I, that I can shoot? I'd really love to do some still lives because I'm kind of got this idea for a book. And um, she said, oh, yeah, sure, come round. And so I went round and, you know, she gave me these seed heads. And I said, look, I've got this idea. You know, I explained the, the concept of winter gardens. And, uh, and we'd already done a couple of gardens. We did Pierre Udolf's garden in the autumn, which was absolutely amazing because that was probably the first garden I shot where it wasn't spring and it wasn't summer and so you, you, there you are dealing with a garden where it's just very kind of monochromatic but brown and yellows and silvers and blacks and so that became that was my first experience and I shot a lot of that in black and white for house and garden and for Claire um, and I'd also done a couple of shoots where we'd done a couple of winter shoots together. Um, one of them was, uh, trying to pronounce this correctly, Plus Brandu, which is the Welsh garden in the book. And so we'd had a couple of, we'd actually done three that were during those winter months. And um, I pitched the idea to her and I said, you know, this is it. This is, I think this could be something really special. And she went for it. She jumped for it. and. Um, because obviously I needed her skills as a writer to, to kind of infuse the imagery with, with words. I love your articulation about the, the pairing of this sort of aesthetic desire you had and the, the way that the monochromatic or tonal photography is so beautifully um, combined with a winter garden. When you think about how you pitched this to Claire and as a, a gardener and a garden writer for the, the content of it, what do you think was so intriguing and compelling to her about writing a book that focused on the garden in winter and its aesthetic and its seasonal moment and importance in terms of you know, dormancy and, and rest and rejuvenation and a different, a, a simplicity that, as you say, is so different than the garden in spring or the garden in summer. What happened was, I think what really excited both of us was that we wanted to do a book where there weren't 40 gardens in it. I mean, a lot of garden books have mm -hmm. a lot of gardens in them. And I really wanted to, and, and this is born out from previous experience working on books where, you know, you'd, you'd only get to do, or they'd use only one or two pictures from a garden that you'd shot. And so the whole concept was just to focus on 12 gardens and allow them to really kind of breathe over the pages and give them space mm. and have moments that no, no publisher would really, you know, there might be a quiet little detail or something like that. And that really excited both of us to sort of show not just those kind of hero shots of the views, but those little corners, those little moments that most people might overlook. I mean, there's some, there's some shots in the book where I, you know, Dixter is 
Dexter is a garden I've shot quite a lot. Great Dexter, it's amazing play. Yeah. They use these boards, which they, they Fergus Garrett, the head gardener there, calls scalpels. And they are the boards that they use to put on the earth to stop the trampling and compacting of the soil. And we use that picture full page with the frost on. And that's what really drove both of us to be able to use pictures like that and give them space because they would those pictures are just as important as those wider shots to give the garden context yep. and to tell the story because you know that's what these guys use in winter they're, they they are integral to the functioning of the garden and so that excited me and excited Claire as well because that's what she also wrote about in her words and those 12 gardens, we were able to go deeper than what we would ever been able to do in a magazine article or in another book, because normally, you know, it's, uh, they're quite general overviews, but we, we wanted to really kind of show people and get also get comments from the gardeners themselves about their garden in winter and about what talks to them. And, the other nice thing that we were able to do is that at the end of each garden chapter is do a little kind of glossary where you don't have to go all the way back to the book is at the end of that garden, there's a glossary and notes from the gardener about those plants you've just seen in those pages. And, you know, it was just doing something completely different that really motivated us both to, to be excited really, and to, to present something to people that, we'd hope they'd like because that's what we wanted to see we wanted to do a book we made the book that we wanted to read that we wanted to sort of see and it was always our hope that other people would respond to it like we respond to it and for me you know as a gardener in the United States and in uh, a part of the United States that does not have a hard winter, where I don't have a snowy, frosty winter the way I had when I grew up or for much of my young adulthood, first in Colorado and then in the Northeast. And there was some interest on my part as to whether the book would be too precious or too English or too kind of geared towards the the wealthy grand gardens and i can say without any equivocation that this is an is such a satisfying book it, it is luxurious it is uh it is an indulgence that is absolutely worth every penny of that indulgence because of this space you give for all those things you just mentioned and it's, a, it's like a tribute, in, from my perspective, a tribute to this concept of kind of slow gardening, um, full season appreciation. It is not just about a destination shot. Um, it is about this, yeah, this, this fullness of of our relationships to our spaces, which is true even in my world where I don't have uh, snow in my garden it, the winter still brings its own dormancy and its own shift uh, that is that has such beautiful moments. And as you say, it exposes this different 
level of visibility and literacy in what structure means and what design means and and what methodologies uh, are being put to, to use in all of these ways that, again, like open up and leverage that intimacy we were talking about earlier in the book. You know, there's, you, you say at the end of your preface, um, the gardens in this book provide a perspective that is not often seen. Without the distraction of the previous season's colors, there is an opportunity to show the skill of the designer's hand that is usually hidden and the care that gardeners take in tending to their work through often bleak months that results in the garden's summer splendors. And I just, that was a very beautiful acknowledgement. Mm, thank you. I mean, it's, uh, it was winter. I think I, I was thinking about this and it really is a time of contemplation because there's no pressure really, because in, in January, nothing's growing. Nothing is kind of competing with anything. And, you know, you get to you you get to stop and look and dwell on the year before what worked, what didn't, and also plans for the future. You know what you want to do. You know where the what, what direction you want the garden to take, and that's what I kind of really kind of loved about that time of January, February, and wanting to show is that you know it is a time of contemplation where people will go out into their garden and you know there's no specific jobs to do but they can go out there and think ah oh, you know what I'm really looking forward to seeing that come alive or you know um you know just that kind of excitement of what's to come but also just to enjoy the light and the atmosphere of a garden in winter especially in those really frosty kind of misty mornings it does become a completely different place. And mm. I kind of like the fact that sometimes the gardens are slightly unrecognizable to what happens in the summer. Yeah. And, and that was also, you know, like the going back to the Dixter thing, you know, it's just canes, these, these kind of canes that are just kind of stuck into the earth just to sort of signify what's growing, what will be growing somewhere. And they also have their kind of own sort of like graphic sort of language and I really like to show that I thought that was that was really interesting for people because a lot of these places aren't even open or maybe it might be an allotment where you know things have collapsed and there's a frost and people wouldn't see that you know they they, they why would they want to go they get out of bed at sort of 7am and go down to their allotment you know it's uh <laughs> but I, I you know that's what really excited me to kind of sort of capture that really yeah and so you end up with these 12 gardens and um we certainly do get some big grand gardens but we also get these lovely um I think you describe it as you know sort of the anarchy of of seed heads and side shots and some verges that are just as meaningful how did you and Claire choose the final 12 and they kind of range across um England Wales do you have some in Scotland no we didn't do Scotland um but we okay. we did north of England because we did one in Cumbria um Cresgarth mm -hmm. Hall which was Anna Lennox Boyd's garden and Mapperton is a very classic garden 
where you've got the topiary, um, which was, so we were trying to, obviously topiary in winter is where it, you know, absolutely it's, 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 it's moment really. When you get the frost on topiary, it's, it can be incredible. So we kind of like wanted to have a few gardens with those elements in. We also um, wanted to acknowledge um, some you know, fantastic garden designers, you know, uh, Dan Pearson, Tom Stewart Smith, um, Ginny Blom, you know, and showcase some of their gardens, which most people would only be familiar with in, in the summer. Um, and that was really important. But then, you know, Dixter again for me is, is somewhere that I, I, I'm really connected with, but there were also a couple of other gardens where aren't open to the public. You know, they are private gardens and it was through knowing the head gardeners there that I was able to go in and, and photograph those places because again, they all showed, they all brought a certain something to the kind of palette of winter really, you know, um, be it, you know, the kind of clipped hedges or, the the way that they kind of like the espaliers will be looking or gnarled old apple trees and things like that or it you know like a kitchen garden um we try to kind of pretty much encompass most kind of genres really of gardens i suppose um in the mm -hmm. in the book i mean we've got yeah. 12 so you know you there's only again that's that's the whole point we kind of had to and that was claire that was down to claire really that was absolutely um, I was led by Claire on that because um, she's got far more uh, experience in terms of, you know, knowing what these gardens look like. A, a lot of them I'd never been to before until that day. Um, quite a few of them actually in the book I'd, I'd never actually been to until I turned up on that on those mornings. But she was, and 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 that's why that's how we work quite well together because I completely trust her. If she says it's a good garden to do, then that's good enough for me and she wasn't there when I was shooting she'd kind of leave me to do it and we we have that trust in each other that she's a very good photographer she's got a very good eye so you kind of she sees things that I see and and vice versa and so you know she would would respond to things that I took and I'd also respond to sort of some of her things that she'd also give me kind of like bullet points about the garden that maybe to kind of focus on and so um it was that synergy really that really kind of worked so well i think um, in putting the book together this is cultivating place andrew montgomery is a british-based garden photographer whose new book winter gardens celebrates the very specific beauty of the winter season in a garden in the colder climates we'll be right back stay with us Hey, so thinking out loud this week, interestingly, I got myself another lovely book on winter gardens this year, which I really want to give a shout out to. Winterland by Kathy Reese and photographer Lisa Look is all about creating beautiful gardens for every season. And it focuses on design ideas for strong winter garden performance and personality, including how to highlight that visual nuance and contrast that Andrew speaks of so eloquently in his description of photographing winter gardens. As the two creators of Winterland write, 
For them, it is about how the dramatic stillness of a garden in winter provides us opportunities to deepen our own connections. You gotta love that. For more information on this book and to see its cover, they will be posted on this week's episode show notes as well. I'm Jennifer Jewell. This is Cultivating Place. Winter Gardens is a celebration in both photography and words of the spare, sometimes hard, nuanced and moody beauty of the garden in the winter season. Photographer and now publisher Andrew Montgomery is sharing with us more about the process and purpose of the book, and as we come back, he talks about the experiences he had in gardens in winter, bringing these photographs to life. I wanted the book to be visceral, mm. without a doubt. A mm-hmm. lot of winter, a lot of winter garden pictures I'd seen before were bright blue skies and snow, or they can be quite saccharine. You know, they're quite sweet. You know, they're very pretty, but I wanted that visceral feeling of cold and bleakness to come through in the pictures, which has its own beauty. And one one garden, which was Gresgarth Hall, which I mentioned, is that I went up there. Um, hoping to catch snow and when I got there the snow had just kind of melted and so I went around the garden I did the shoot spent a couple of hours it was good I was sort of happy because there were there were elements and photographs that I'd captured that that I felt were, were good but I got in the car and I was about to drive out the drive when all of a sudden this major this big out of nowhere was a snowstorm and I thought I've got to reshoot. I've got to get out the car. I've got to get the camera out and I've got to go for it. Right. And, and so it was brilliant. And I shot in a full blizzard and in that portfolio of images, you see the snow blurring in front of the camera. And I loved that because it was true. It was real. It was kind of like, you know, that I, it, it was probably the most wintry shoot of the whole book because it was the most, you know, it, it literally was, it was kind of minus three. It was a blizzard. I couldn't feel the camera my fingers were numb. The, the, the snow was all over the, the lens. I had to keep wiping the, the, the melted <laughs> snow off the lens. You know, it's in your mouth, it's in your eyes, but you know, you're getting something, you know, that, that, that it's, it's absolutely genuine. And I just thought to myself, do you know what? I don't think, you know, because also you're, you're photographing an amazing garden as well that was really exciting and that's what I really that was when I knew that the book would be showing something that would be unfamiliar to people you know that experience of looking at a garden when you really are as if you're you're there in the middle of it and some of the gardens you know they there was one with um Broughton Grange with Tom Stewart Smith where another goal that I wanted to one of the things I really wanted was the mist. I wanted that kind of early morning fog and mist because that was a goal of mine to shoot in black and white, to shoot a garden with strong structure um, on a misty morning in black and white because then it just becomes this exercise in sort of tones and contrast. And the mist just does this thing of just knocking back and knocking back and knocking back the layers that, the designer has put in the garden mm. and so the thing that's in front of the camera the thing that's closest 
is stark it's harsh it's it's black it's kind of like graphic but then 10 feet behind it starts to soften yeah. and then behind that and behind that and mm. you only get that in winter you know yeah. you, you that that you can only get that type of image and that was one of the goals is photographically that I really wanted to achieve um and and put a big tick by you know it was kind of like that garden did that thing for me well yeah and as you're speaking it it occurs to me that you know and and you do capture this so well that there is something you said you wanted this to be a very visceral experience um and it is in both words and photographs and there's something about that that impacts us not just on the physical but the psychological perspective uh that is afforded through that perspective you just you just walked us through um and i think it is one of the gifts of our gardens but that we see it more clearly in looking at it through your eyes in these gardens. Yeah. You said right in the beginning of our conversation that there were two or three photographs in this book that actually hit that mark of perfect for you. Do you want to share what, what any one of those okay. are besides well, I... maybe one of these missed ones that you just walked us through? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I've been taking pictures since the age of, seven um, and so I suppose over the last 30 years I look back and you you have a top 10 you know you have a top 10 photographs you've ever taken you know that are your favorites yes if I narrow that down to my top five one of the pictures in the book is in that top five and actually one of the pictures is probably the most spiritual photograph I've ever taken and it didn't occur to me when I was shooting it and that that photograph was at Hillside Dan Pearson's garden and that was a morning where I had a choice of three mornings to go and shoot they were all forecast frost and it was a case of which morning's going to be the one and I just picked one and I arrived and it was minus three fantastic everything was coated in this kind of crisp sugary coating but there was a mist and usually when you go to gardens in the winter and there's a mist the sun comes up and it burns off and so you only get two hours to shoot because then once that mist is gone it's too contrasty but on that day the mist stayed for the whole day and so I was able to spend five or six hours just going round and shooting and shooting and shooting. And I couldn't believe my luck. You know, it was just like, A, I'm in one of the greatest garden designers of our time in his own personal garden with the perfect conditions. And these perfect conditions are just, they're not disappearing. They're just, they're just staying there. And so I, I, I spent this time and it, and it enabled me to go round and round and go deeper and, and more intimate and, and wider with the camera. And one of the pictures in the book was looking down the garden and towards a gate. And then behind this gate is, some, is a, hill, a little hill, a little hillside with a tree. And when, it, when I was looking at the pictures, 
I thought, yeah, this is this is definitely one of the strongest shots from that series, from that folio. And it went in the book. But what was, what I didn't quite realise at the time, and what happened was, was that I'd, I'd put together an exhibition, actually, of images from the book um, as part of the launch. And so a couple of these, these were my, my favourite shots. I'd actually got printed up huge, like, AO size we're talking kind of six foot by four foot you know big pictures and one of them was this image and I went down to the printers to inspect it and I saw this picture spread out on the table in front of me and I I, I honestly got I've never had this reaction before I, I I kind of looked at it and was literally like I was kind of slightly choked up about just how incredible it looked you know it was just like I, it was it was immersive it was it kind of it just took on this this quite spiritual sort of power because you had this this path leading down to this gate it's a beautiful very sort of fine ironwork gate and then beyond it you just had this kind of mist kind of it was like heavenly you know it was like this kind of surreal sort of fantasy scene and sin because you often what people have to remember is that I only ever really see my pictures the size of a computer screen. You know, you know, you look at this monitor, which is 10 by 12 in size, and that's how big you see your photograph. And then you see it in the book, which isn't that much bigger. So you only see them relatively small. You don't ever really see them big. And when I saw this one image at that size, it was unbelievable and and i realized on looking at it just quite the power that one shot had and has and it's called view to the tump because i got it printed up and we put it in the exhibition and i knew it was going to be the one image that people would respond on that soulful level really they would connect to it because photography sometimes can do that not every picture does that. And I look back at my career and only a handful of pictures that I've ever taken have that kind of soul, that power really to kind of take it to sort of somewhere else. And that's the response from people going to that exhibition and seeing that print at that size, you know, has been, has been amazing. And um, it's the absolute standout image for me in the book because of that reason. And, you know, and, it, it's special really um so i mean compared to that it's, every every other picture's got a little bit of a hot, tough act to follow really um <laughs> I mean, obviously there's you know the, the one i just explained before which is i call totems which is the the tom stewart smith picture where you kind of see those kind of uh the, the mist and what have you is is fantastic but you know, I, I really love also the, the the shot of the boards at Dixter. That's a little personal favourite just because I know it's a picture that would never have seen the light of day unless I would have, you know, put it in the book, really. Well, I think it also speaks to what you just expressed about that image, which is one of my favourites. It's a it's a two spread uh, full full spread in in the book from the hillside garden is it reminds us 
and, and I think this is partly what keeps us in the garden in many cases through our lives, that there is this transportive nature to gardening and to what we see and experience there. And it, it is this spiritual aspect of knowing we are something, we are part of something, or we are witness to something um, that by pure grace is larger than us. And um, that can't be underestimated. No. And to be able to look at one of your images and say, I, I, got, I, I, I got that feeling, that existential, transportive nature of this um, in both the, the picture of it, but the experience of it to share with other people is, um, is a tremendous gift. And, and your book, uh, I would say, um, you know, many of the pictures I, I just want to sit and look at and then to read Claire's uh, stories from the history of the gardens and their workings and their plant uh, communities uh, makes it all the deeper and richer. Is there anything you would like to add about you, maybe even the importance of modeling, um, having taken on your own publishing house in order to bring this vision uh, to other garden gardeners, garden lovers uh, around the world, Andrew? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, I started Montgomery Press to to be able to kind of do the books that I wanted to see and really be undiluted in any shape or form and it was a complete leap of faith it's quite terrifying because <laughs> you're you're the one that's 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 doing it and you know you 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 take it and you just really really hope that that people will respond I mean the way that I kind of approached it was you know through my Instagram um, Montgomery photo I, I I I'd been building up kind of very good relationships with kind of the the people that uh, that had responded to my work and so I knew that I wanted to kind of I knew that they would respond to it the people that follow me I, I knew the because I had the pictures that I'd posted and you know you kind of I needed to sell uh, to, to for it to pay for itself mm. Um, you needed to, I needed to kind of, uh, hit a certain number and you just think, well, you know, all those, you know, those people out there that follow me, hopefully if a handful of those would really want to sort of, it's a bit, it's a bit of a weird, it was, it was like, it, I just, it, I kind of looked at it a bit like a Kickstarter program whereupon that instead of someone sort of giving you money to do something that might happen, that I would produce something that people would then pay for because it's a real thing. And by them buying my book, it enables me to kind of then go on and hopefully produce another, you know, that was always my kind of goal that, you know, that you do something that would, um, one thing would then lead on to another. And because I didn't want the book to be a one-off, I wanted people to kind of respond to this one and think, wow, yeah, that's great. I'd really be interested to see, you know, what, what Andrew does next. And because I love doing it, I, I, I want to do more books and, you know, Claire and I have, I'll, I'll, we, we know what the second one's going to be. Can't let you know. Okay, I can't good. tell you. Oh, I can't tell you what it is. So mean. But it's not going to be summer <laughs> gardens. Or, 
it's not going to be summer gardens or autumn gardens, but it is a sequel to winter gardens. Um, we, we plan to start shooting it this year. So we will probably let people, we'll probably post something um, probably at the end, towards the end of the year. As a bit of a teaser, I suppose. Um, but we're really, we're really excited. It, it's a, it's, it's, it will sit very nicely with Winter Gardens, put it that way. And, um, and, and it's because of the response to Winter Gardens that, 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 you know, that we are so excited about doing another one, really. Um, and uh, we want to make it bigger and better. You know, you know. Obviously, we've we've set ourselves quite a high bar. You have. Which we're, you have. You know, we know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's really exciting. Really exciting. Well, well done. I am completely smitten with Winter Gardens and on all of its levels, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about it. And thank you so much for being a guest on the program today. Best of luck. I will stay tuned. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Andrew Montgomery is a British-based garden photographer. His book, Winter Gardens, celebrates the very specific beauty of the winter season in colder climates in gardens we love. The book is a collaboration with writer and editor Claire Foster of House and Garden UK. The first edition of Winter Gardens sold out in less than a month last December, but pre-order for the second edition will be available in mid to late February 2022. Montgomery Press is also producing two special editions of the book, one called Tapestry and the other called Briar. These special editions will be available with linen covers and each come with a print. Join us again next week when we head to Detroit and we turn our attention to the intersection of urban regenerative gardens and floristry in conversation with Lisa Wad of Detroit Flower House and Erin Bevel of the Detroit Black Farmer Land Fund. Listen in next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you. Every month, through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. We are also made possible by partner support from the California Native Plant Society. For more information and to see the peacefully arresting images of Winter Gardens by Andrew Montgomery from his new book, head on over to cultivatingplace.com and look for this week's show notes under the podcast tab. That's all at cultivatingplace.com. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler with tech and web support weekly from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.